The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. All right, everyone. Great to hear those welcomes. And uh, welcome back to our worship. As we continue, we're going to continue in our brief series uh, called Love at the Center through 1 Corinthians 13. We've been teaching through probably the most famous passage in Scripture, definitely the most famous chapter uh, in Scripture, or at least well-known chapter. And we've been looking at the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. The core focus of the whole chapter is revealing to us what truly matters in life. It's obvious what God desires to communicate to us in this chapter, and that is it's a life lived in love. That's what matters to God. And one last time to complete our series, let's read uh, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, all 13 verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is God's word. Love must be at the very center of our entire lives, the center of our service and love to others, the center of our relationships with people, The center of everything, that's what is at the heart of this passage. It ought to be at the center of everything that we do. And this morning we'll focus on verses just 8 through 13 and see how love must be at the center of our growing up. The center of our growth and growing up in faith. There's really three big truth bombs that we encounter in this passage. We've covered two uh, so far and today we'll, we'll complete it with the third. Uh, let me tell you what the first two were, uh, just as, as a re- remembrance, in case you missed them. Um, you'll hear them for the first time. Here's a truth bomb number one from Paul to his readers, and that was this. Our greatest fear should not be of failure to live up to our potential, but rather succeeding at things that, that don't really matter. He says you could be gifted, you could be really spiritually uh, experienced and wealthy and eloquent. Uh, you can have lots to offer. Uh, the church, but without love, you amount to nothing. That was the first truth bomb, which would have come to the ears of Paul's listeners and stunned them, as many were very proud of all that they did. Here's the second truth bomb that we covered last week. The reason that we struggle to love others in our relationships is not because we lack desire to do so, but because our desires are in the wrong place. We mentioned love is not a hammock. You do not fall out of it. We simply shift our love to other things. Mostly we shift it, shift it inward to ourselves. 
We say we fell, we fell out of love with a person, but really we just we started to care more about ourselves. Love is a covenant of action for the ultimate good of another person. That's truth bomb number two. And now here's truth bomb number three. Here it is. Don't be a baby. <laughs> Don't be a baby. Now, not as eloquent as the first two for sure, but that's really what this passage is about. Here's where Paul goes. Our focus of today is on these verses where Paul is kind of saying, you need to grow up. You need to grow up. Paul says there's a time for childish things, and now is not the time. It is time to grow up in the faith. It's time to be mature. It's time to, to grow up into Christ. And love shows us how to do that. Love shows us the way to grow up. Now, Paul, the author of this famous letter, I want you to know just at the onset, he's not degrading children. He is not demeaning children or or demeaning youthfulness. He's not speaking down to young people. I want that to be super clear. Not even in the slightest degree. If you're a young person with us and worshiping with us, this is not a passage against you. What he's really saying is that young and old need to learn together how to grow up in faith into maturity. And so whether you're young with us, whether you're older with us, this is a message for all of us. When Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. He's telling us something really obvious and important. Just as it is possible to be physically immature, it's possible to be spiritually immature. And spiritual immaturity, just like physical immaturity, is fine in a season of childhood. It's fine in a season of infancy. But if present in adults, it is a sign of a, of a problem of pathology, of a deeper-rooted sickness. Think of the, the physical. It's never wrong to start out as a child. No one would ever fault a baby for being a baby. Uh, we're all born at a very young age, right? Uh, and so it's even healthy to be young at a certain time. No one is ashamed of looking at pictures when they were growing up and seeing their baby pictures of themselves with a pacifier and a diaper. In fact, we admire it and we say it's cute. However, if that's still what you look like at 20, at 30, you should be very ashamed and should never come within 100 feet of my children. And, and so at a certain age, you say this is appropriate, this is good, and, and we, we honor it and we celebrate it. And yet there's a time where that has to stop and we need to grow up. Think spiritually, and that's what Paul is doing. It's never wrong to start out as a baby Christian. It's never wrong to, to lack understanding of God and his word. But if you stay that way, there's something very wrong. If we stay in infancy spiritually, if we stay in immaturity spiritually, um, there's something wrong. And he points at a root of, of this problem. And really, to this call of Paul is to grow up. And it doesn't come out of nowhere. He doesn't just jump into this and say, you know what, on another, in another thing, Everyone grow up. He's really been talking about this his whole chapter. He's been talking about what it looks like to, to grow into maturity. And the whole letter shows them what it looks like to be mature, to, to grow, and, and what Christians look like as they're walking with Jesus, and how there should be an increasing manifestation of our, of our, of our walk with Jesus over time. So let's have some fun with this. We know what the, a child's favorite word is, right? What is a child's favorite word? No. There's probably a lot of top ones. Uh, but no, we're going to go with no today. So here it is. We will learn how to 
say no to spiritual childish ways, and finally we'll see how to grow. The first one to say no to is we need to learn, if we want to grow spiritually, we need to learn to say no to self-admiration. There was this huge, serious sin in the church of Corinth that Paul is, is, is putting his finger on. And he's exposing this sin. He's addressing it throughout the whole letter. And he brings it to a head in chapter 3. And it's so grievous to Paul that he says that this church, when he looks into this church and sees this particular sin, he says, I can't even address you as Christians. I can't even address you as, as mature uh, spiritual people. I have to address you as children. I have to address you as, almost as non-Christians because this sin is present. And this sin is, is so bad, if you persist in this sin, you will bankrupt your faith and you will destroy your church. What is this sin that Paul is speaking of? Is it, is it, is it, is it sexual immorality? Is it murder? Is it drunkenness? I mean, these big sins that we, that we rightfully but love to talk about in the church, it wasn't any of those things. What was this big sin that was going to rip the church apart? It was the sin of having a too high view of oneself. That's what Paul looked into and he saw the church and he says, how could I address you as Christians? How could I address you as people who follow Jesus when you have such a high view of yourself? 1 Corinthians 3, 18 and 8, 1 through 3, just these brief couple scriptures here. He says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So here, Paul is looking at this church, and he's putting his finger on possibly the greatest symptom of their spiritual immaturity. They found themselves important to God and to others by what they accomplished and by what they knew and by what they had. And maybe you're thinking, well, how is that childish? How, is, how does that act like a child? Let me give you an example. Offer a cookie to two children. Take a cookie and give it to two children and split it in half. But as you're splitting this cookie in half to give to two children, split it like 30 and 70% and watch the war unfold. Am I wrong? No, I don't think I am. What is that? What is that instinctively in a child that says, that's not fair. I want more. I want more than he has, than she has. A child cares only about what they have, what they don't have, what they want, what they don't want. They measure their happiness by what they have, what they know, and, they, and by what they acquire. They consider themselves supremely special when they have something that someone else doesn't have. When they have what they want, they feel on top of the world. When they lose that very thing that they desire, then their life crumbles before them. Just take away an iPad from them when they really want it. Take away a phone. Take away a treat or their favorite toy. When adults act this way, they reflect their immaturity. When adults act this way before the Lord, they, re they reflect their spiritual immaturity, to which Paul says, don't have such a high view of yourself. It will only lead to conceit and pride and envy and hatred. And God already knows that you're foolish compared to him. God knows who you are. In a sense, Paul is, is showing us that a symptom of, of spiritual immaturity is, I'm sorry, a sense of spiritual maturity 
is to have a, a healthy view of our own understanding and our wisdom, a healthy view of our limits, a healthy view of our own ignorance and understanding when it comes to knowing the things of God. True spiritual maturity is being willing to always be taught by God, to have a posture of, of humility before God and others, and, and never an air of arrogance that says, well, I figured this out, and you should know what I know. It is to become a fool, Paul says. If we want to become wise, we must become a fool. What does that mean? Well, we must become willing to always be taught and understanding that even our highest level of wisdom and understanding and perspective on the world pales to what is actually true. That means that we are to be in a constant state of our heart to understand our limits of our own wisdom and understanding, to rely on God completely, constantly open to his correction and to his insights. We guard ourselves against becoming puffed up with pride and knowledge to always having the right answer and always presenting a, a front of intelligence to other people, to always having the right perspective, to always showing the right behavior. Paul, in this passage, he actually quotes King David as King David writes in the Psalms reflecting God. And he says this, God has laid out all human wisdom and knowledge and accomplishments before him. All the best of our thinking, all the best of our understanding and wisdom and ingenuity has been laid out before God like on this big, long dining room table. It's just spread out. And God sees everything that we know as humans, and he assesses it, and he renders his judgment on it. And he says, I've looked at everything that you know, humans, and here is my verdict. You're all idiots. <laughs> this is what he says. He says, you're all fools. He says, well, you know things. Of course you know things. You've come to the realization of truth, but you don't know as you ought to know. Not even close. Sure, you know things that are true. A child knows that water is wet, but that does not make a child a hydrologist. A child likes to swim, but that doesn't make a child a dolphin when he gets into the pool. A child will have no problem getting into the, swim, the, the bathtub and acting like a dolphin, a, a sea captain, a mermaid. It's cute for a child to do that. But if an adult does that, if, you get in, if you're an adult and you get in a bathtub and put on your captain hat, you know what, let me scratch that. If you just get in a bathtub and you're an adult, that's just gross. I mean, don't just don't. <laughs> showers are fine. Don't sit in your filth. Okay. Now, I want... I, here, I, want the, I don't want the humor to be lost. It, that's how God, think about this, that's how God feels when we pretend to know the right way, the right things, to have a vest. When we become puffed up with who we are because of what we know, because of our intelligence, because of our understanding, because of our wisdom, that's how he feels when we fail to maintain a constant state of humility and total dependency on him. Do you want to grow into maturity? We must love God in such a way that transforms our posture before him. We must say no to self-admiration, knowing that we are fools before God, totally dependent on him. Children don't have the capacity to do that. When they have something, they feel like kings and queens. When they lose it, they feel like their world has been ripped from them. 
When they have less than another person, they feel inferior to that person. When they have more, they feel superior. Paul says, you act like children when you act that way before God and others. Because God knows your heart and he calls you foolish. And yet, he still encourages us to seek understanding, to seek wisdom. Of course, we know things, but we never know as we ought to know. Let's move on to the second thing we need to say no to. We need to learn to say no to a quick fix. I'm going to shock you with some stats on children. Here are a few. Children are not patient with things that they are not interested in. Love is patient. Children do not put up with situations that cause them discomfort. Love endures. Children get frustrated and give up very easily when faced with difficult tasks that they are not good at. Love hopes. Here's how a child thinks. If it doesn't interest me or excite me, then it cannot be important and worthy of my time, energy, and sacrifice. Have you ever witnessed a child in front of a television that doesn't turn on at a first attempt? It is chaos. If you, it's not working, our lives are over, throw it away, buy another one on your phone. That's what they say. If something breaks, buy another one on their phone, and then they go to the door waiting for a package to show up, you know? This is how they think, and, and they don't problem solve, they don't reason, they don't think through what could be going on here. If something doesn't work, they say, what has happened? This is horrible. When faced with the, the slow work and the slow pace of God's work in your life or response to your troubles as you bring your cares to God, if you're spiritually immature, you will say, why isn't God fixing it faster? I thought I did everything. Where, where is he? Why hasn't he showed up? To which God would say, you need to grow up. You need to grow up. And Paul says, when I was a child, I, I reasoned like a child. I, I, I reasoned like a child. I, I problem solved like a child. My, 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 my view of the world was like a child. And my, and, but when I became a man, I, I gave up childish ways. Don't you know that becoming an adult takes time? I mean, let's just talk physically. Don't you know that, that becoming a mature, physical person takes a lot, a lot of time? You think you'll be a man, a woman in a year? Ten years? Twenty years? Christianity is not like joining a club. Christianity is not like there's a time when we're not in, and then there's a time we join the club, and, 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 and we attend meetings, and we know the rules, and then we follow the rules. Being a Christian is like being born. Does that ring a bell? This is what, this is what Jesus says. You must be born. You're, you must be born. You're born a first time physically, and you must be born spiritually a second time. You join a club. You attend meetings. You learn the rules of the club. If that sums up your relationship with Christianity, then you don't know what it means to be a Christian. Some of you are, are very bad at the club rules, or some of you are very good at the club rules, and you judge God's love for you by how good or bad you follow those club rules. But being a Christian is not like joining a club. Being a Christian is like being born. 
Being a Christian is like being born. We're born again through the power of the Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sin and our need for Jesus. He applies the work of Christ on the cross to our lives through faith. And then we begin to feed. We feed on Christ and his word. We, we feed on his grace daily. We go to this refreshing well of, of his understanding and wisdom, and we, we drink deeply. We, we eat, we digest, we are nourished over a long period of time, and we grow, and we grow, and we grow, and we grow. And oftentimes, it doesn't look like we're growing because it happens so painfully slow. But, more, but the more we apply God's grace, the more we apply the food of his grace into our lives, the more we grow. And some of us say, sounds difficult and too slow. Can't I just join that club? Can I just join that club? Can I just join the club and learn the rules? I'm good at rules. I'm good at following direction. I'm, I'm good at looking like I, like I have it together. Can I do that? To which God says, you're a baby. You're a baby. If you're looking for quick solutions to very difficult problems, you're acting like a child. And the difficult problem of growing up into spiritual maturity, it's painful and long, and none of us want to endure it. If we're looking for a quick fix to to solve these problems, if you read your Bible and expect all of your sinful desires to, to instantly vanish, you're acting like a child. If you give the the God thing a shot and your happiness doesn't improve quickly, then you're acting like a child. I remember when I was a spiritual baby. Shortly after I gave my life to Jesus, I was walking around the U of A campus, and I remember it well. It was a, a very clear and beautiful night, and I'm walking around campus, anxious, a lot of angst and frustration, Uh, frustrated with my own lack of growth, but captivated by God's love and grace in my life. And I said, God, let's just have a plan. Instead of over a lifetime of growing, just give it all to me now. Have you ever felt that? I mean, I'll endure it. I know it's going to be hard, but just like like a big, like, pow, instant sanctification. God, I'm ready for it. And I felt God's simple, caring, pastoral, and fatherly voice whisper back, it would kill you. (laughs) it would simply destroy you. You would turn into dust if I did that. And it's true. We cannot endure. We cannot take a lifetime of God's spiritual work and condense it into a moment. It would obliterate us. Just like it would to a child to give all the wisdom and understanding and responsibility placed on the life of a baby, they would be crushed under the weight of it. So what does God do? He feeds us. We become stronger. And we grow in wisdom and understanding. And he gives us more. And he reveals more of who he is over time. We act like children when we say, well, I can handle it. If you have a young child, they ever say that? I can do this. I can do it. Let me carry it. I do that sometimes. I have fun with my kids. Okay, here, carry this. (laughs) You know, (laughs) okay, you want me to carry it now? Okay, you can't take it. I can't. I'm strong. Look at me. I'm strong. That's what children do. Being a Christian is like farming. It's not like a microwave. It's like being born and growing. It's like farming. It's like preparing the soil. It's like planting the seed. It's watering. It's feeding. It's giving it sunlight. And it grows. And never once do we look at the the land that we just planted the seed in and said, you're an idiot. 
what's wrong with you? The plant would say, I'm growing. Have some compassion. But we tend to it. We nurture it. We're looking for a microwave, right? We're looking for a microwave. Just give me this formula. And God says, that's not how I work. If you're frustrated with it, and I find myself often frustrated with the slow pace of sanctification. It reveals our childish ways, our lack of trust in God. And what he invites us into is a slow pace of walking daily with him, trusting in him, returning to him and to his, to his, his, his nurturing word, and coming often to him and, and casting our cares on him. So we need to say no to these childish things. And maybe you can think more if you just witness children in your life. Witness these things and say, God, do I act like that with you? And, and how, do you, how do you nurture your shepherd, your children, when they are acting like children? I mean, hopefully, you, hopefully that's what your desire is to do, is not just to tell them what's wrong with you. Why don't you be an, a mature adult? You look at them as children, and you understand their form and their, and their frame and their, their souls and their hearts and their minds, and you, you build them up and you nurture them and you teach them and you instruct them in God's ways. And that's what God desires to do for us. So we need to say no to these childish ways. So how do we grow? Finally, how, how do we then grow? Well, we need to learn to say yes. We need to learn to say yes to Jesus' daily intrusions. Jesus' daily intrusions. When someone intrudes, they're coming into your space. I mean, they're breaking in, and it's an inconvenient, often painful. Another thing that children don't like people doing, right? Uninvited intrusion of their space. But this is what love does. This is what Jesus does. He intrudes in a thousand ways a day. He invites himself into your life, into your thoughts, into your actions. He invites himself in and says, I'm here, and I invite you to trust me. And when he intrudes and when he comes into our life, he always exposes something that we wish he didn't know. He always exposes something childish about us. He always exposes something that we love that we shouldn't love, something we hate that we, that we shouldn't hate, something we wish we had that we shouldn't, that is misplaced. He interrupts us in the middle of our passions and dreams and motivations and says, why am I not enough for you? Why am I not enough? You have me. Why is that not enough? He moves towards us. He exposes our childish ways and invites us to trust in him. When Paul describes, what Paul describes of the future here in this passage is, is really incredible. He describes the future coming of Jesus. When the perfect comes, this word literally means when the, when the mature, when the mature comes. Uh, he's revealing something incredible. He's saying that a time is coming when Jesus will ultimately intrude into our existence and into our lives and disrupt, disrupt us completely from our way of thinking and our relationship with him. And Jesus is not coming. Do you see this? He's not coming, intruding into our life to give us things. He's not intruding to give us blessings and gifts, but he comes to give us himself. And this is the greatest act of love. The greatest act of love is that God would intrude into our life and give us himself, that we will know Jesus, that we will know him as well as he knows us. And this is what happens. The veil will be lifted from our eyes, and we will see him for who he is, and we will know him 
and we will be completely satisfied in knowing Him. Maturity comes from not having things. Maturity comes not from having things from God or accomplishing things for Him. Maturity comes from knowing Jesus, knowing Him intimately, and growing in that intimacy and knowing Him more every day. Here's the greatest lament, the greatest lament of our time. Could it be that the things our culture idolizes the most are the very things that God calls childish? Think of the things in our world that are most admirable in the eyes of the world. What you know, what you have, what you accomplish, the impact you have on people's lives, the very things that God says, these are childish. What an indictment, what a painful, grievous reality. When we look into our lives and think, see the things that we care about the most, God says, you're wasting your time. Our desire to make a big impact in this life, to do great things, and to be famous and admired in the eyes of others is simply reshaping our definition of what success looks like in the eyes of God. When we give ourselves to these idols and passions of the world, we change the definition of what God says is important. And we change the measure of what success and faithfulness looks like. This shows itself everywhere in churches that we attend, in friendships we seek, in politicians or heroes that we admire and support. We look for charisma, not character. We look for eloquence, not integrity. We look for people's ability rather than honesty. And even attaching Jesus' name to our worldly ambitions does not change the fact that we look oftentimes just like the world. And it does not make us any more spiritually mature. The spiritually mature say no to self-admiration. They say no to self-promotion. They say no to quick fixes of this world and no to instant gratification. And they give themselves daily to a walk with Jesus that manifests itself, and hear this, in small, mostly overlooked tasks over a very long period of time, often without any accolade from others. That's what a mature person does. But it's okay. It is okay to live a life like that because when we have Jesus as our portion, when he is our everything and our desire, we lack nothing. We don't need to make our name great because our name is written on the palm of Jesus' hand. We don't need for people to know us because he knows us fully. And he says, someday you're going to know me as well as I know you. We don't need things to happen quickly because God has never been late. So we can submit to his time. We can be patient with his pace of work in our life, and we give ourselves to him daily, in a daily dependence. When Paul, what Paul is saying in this chapter is incredibly instructive for us for how to grow up. It's as if he's saying, the minute you admit that you are a child, you're actually showing that you're growing up. If your child comes to you into the room with their head downcast in brokenness and says to you, Mom and Dad, I don't want to be childish anymore. You wouldn't say, too bad, go clean your room. <laughs> you would say, 
you have never acted less like a child than you are right now. There is nothing more mature than to admit that you don't want to be a child. Do you see this? Here's the way you can tell a difference between someone who is maturing in Christ and someone who is not. And you can do some self-evaluation here to see if you're growing in the gospel or just trying to change your behavior. Over time, the reasons you go to God begin to change. And this changes in someone who's maturing and growing in God's grace. No longer do you find yourself going to God so that he can give you things, blessings, answers to prayer, and the life that you imagine and hope for yourself. You begin to go to God to get him. You begin to pursue God to know him and be with him. You just want him. You just want to know him. Your joy is wrapped up in loving him. You delight in him. You enjoy him. You invite his daily intrusion into your life more and more. You invite the inconvenient interruptions into your pride and into your heart and into your thinking because you know there's nothing, absolutely nothing better that God can give you than himself. And so you go to him just saying, whatever happens, even if nothing in my life changes, I just want you. That's what a mature person says. You pray to know him more, not for your life to change. You repent of sin to know him more. You read his word to know him more. You obey his commands to know him more. You know that you will never waste a day spent loving Jesus, even if the circumstances of your life never change. Because a day is coming when you will see Jesus face to face, and on that day his love will shine so bright that there will be no shadows anywhere. Have you ever taken a flashlight outside and turned it on and you couldn't tell if it was on or off because it was so bright outside? The Bible describes that's what it's going to be like. When Jesus comes, everything else will be so dim. All the pains that we have experienced, all of our lack of understanding and pain of life, every other desire and hope and dream will be so dim because Jesus will be so bright in our life that nothing will compare this love for us is so true. And it's true only because Jesus endured all the pain. Because he went through that task of, of enduring this long road of suffering of life for us. All the punishment, all the shame on the cross for us so that we can know this kind of love. We read this chapter and we see the reason to be glad in God's great love. We read it as forgiven people, ready to repent of sin and ready to obey Christ as we walk with him obediently in his love. An ounce of God's perfect and full love for you is greater than any love you have ever imagined. We grow in love. We grow up in love. It must be the center of our maturing or else we will always be babies. Let's pray.